talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking a look at Cloak and Dagger, first seen in June 2018, when, if you wanted to look clever in front of your friends, you could have watched Meghan Markle and American Princess, Comedy Central Roast of Bruce Willis, or The Last Sharknado, It's About Time, instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I made of Cloak and Dagger shortly. Meanwhile... Joining us to give his thoughts on Cloak and Dagger is writer, quizmaster and podcaster, Ben Baker. Ben, where can people find you? Hello, Marvel fans. It's me, Ben Baker. Yeah, I'm regularly found on a podcast, Don't Let's Chat, with fellow constant Tim Worthington guest, Phil Catterall. We talk about things in history and pop culture stuff and silly jokes. And this series, possibly inspired a little bit by Marvel, is even added a sassy comedy robot. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to explain what it's called and why, but Ben, before we go any further, what happens in Cloak and Dagger? Well, as we all know, Ian Cloak runs the Anne Dagger pub. Uh, no, no, sorry. It's a very interesting teen drama that has two people from opposite sides of New Orleans where it's set, Tandy Bowen, uh, who's Dagger, and Tyrone Johnson, who's Cloak, and they're basically affected by this giant explosion on an oil gulf platform eight years before the actual story starts. But they don't realise they have superpowers until they sort of come back into each other's orbit. And by that point, they're incredibly messed up. Tandy's father dies in a car crash, which goes into the sea. At the same time, Tyrone is sort of pushed into the sea because he's been chased by the police. And there's a lot of grief and a lot of tragedy in there. And then it sort of cuts back to, well, I presume it was June 2018 when it actually came out. And she's basically a petty thief and a fan of prescription narcotics, shall we say. And he is trying to be this model kid whilst living with the guilt of a death he inadvertently caused. They eventually realise that they have this connection and form a partnership to right wrongs, basically. Well, I think the follow-on to this is going to be interesting. Ben, how much did you know about Cloak and Dagger before you saw this show? Right, have you heard of nothing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Less than that. <laughs> No, I genuinely no idea of anything to do with Cloak and Dagger before this series. Well, I'm not surprised by that because they are the most surprising characters, I think, to get their own slot in the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far because they really aren't very well known. I mean, they're well known to comics fans, but they're not quite Spider-Man or Captain America. They are really dark characters. I was obsessed with them for a very long time because I would have seen them when they very first appeared in Spider-Man in the early 80s. Basically. 
they would interrupt things that Spider-Man was doing, or say Spider-Man teaming up with Daredevil were doing, and disappear into the night. And these Spider-Man say, who are those kids, really quizzically. Uh-huh, and right. it went on and on until, see, this is they changed the backstory so much, because they were from New York in the comics. It was changing New Orleans for the series for reasons we'll come back to. Tandy's backstory was quite similar, but Ty wasn't really this model kid. He was like a street kid who, he'd run away from home because basically the police shot his friend in the case of mistaken identity. And because he had to stutter, he couldn't interrupt them in time to save his friend. And he's so wrapped with guilt that he ran away. And he met Tandy, who, you know, was being a petty thief and a bit of a junkie, still from a privileged background. And their powers manifested when they were coerced to trying some synthetic heroin by... (laughs) I think it was by Silvermane. It was a regular kind of gangster figure in the street-level Marvel comics. It didn't work as the heroines, but it triggered their abilities. Ty controls the dark and Tandy controls the light. And there are emotional ramifications of that, but that's more or less it. Yeah, she can emit daggers made of light and she can see people's hopes, whereas he sort of can teleport people into a different dimension with his cloak. And when he touches them, it's fear. They sort of play off each other quite well. The reasons for their powers were that Ty had come into contact with the Dark Force, as does later come into this series at some point in his past. And Tandy, it was never quite established, but it's something to do with her father being you know, like a con-man guru in the early 70s who had discovered to his alarm that he could do the light thing as well this was the reason she's so messed up he ran off to india to live in a religious retreat because he was so freaked out by it and obviously all of that was done away with for this they completely rewrote that took the opportunity to because nobody would be expecting their backstory he was tuning in really and turned into the thing with rocks and oil who are a company that have been mentioned a lot in the films and some of the tv series but not really played a major part until now no if there are very few references directly to marvel i noticed it in this and Roxxon's one of the few, as well as a later mention of Luke Cage in the newspaper. Yeah, they were planning to tie in with Luke Cage later on, but obviously both series got cancelled. So. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating that you say it was spin off from Spider-Man, because I, do n- I didn't see any of that in the programme I watched, which, I'll be honest with you, I'd, I'd started watching last year. I saw it appear on Amazon Prime, and I'm like, oh, that could be interesting. And I watched the first three, and they were very slow and very ponderous and very, my pain and sadness is bigger than your pain and sadness sort of thing. It was like, oh, I'm not sure I'm into the sullen teenage skulking and stuff. But I went back, and I'm very, very glad I did. It's a very, very interesting series. As you say, it's about these two disparate people who've come together. And it feels a little bit like Veronica Mars, but minus any of that humour. But the guy who basically is behind this, is it Joe Kasky? It's pronounced? Uh, I'm not sure. But he's basically, he came from Heroes. And it definitely feels like something in that world. It's got that kind of moody awkwardness with people not sure if they even want power and stuff. As I say, it's very slow to begin with. With very little superhero stuff. You know, very, very minor. It won me over. Definitely, because one, the cast are absolutely brilliant. It's a fantastic, and the New Orleans setting works so well, I'm amazed that it wasn't originally that at all. There's a lot of stuff which actually ties in similarly to the recent Watchmen miniseries, which about race and the role of the black man in America. You know, also, you know, how people slip through the cracks, especially sort of supposedly privileged white girls. Yeah, as I said, I'm really glad I went back. I actually, like, I had to sort of stagger it a little bit with 
like something like Bob's Burgers or silly YouTube videos because he's a bit. It started affecting my mood a little bit. He's a little bit oppressive. He's a very overwhelming show. Gets very deep and metaphysical. I'll be honest with you, I'm amazed it went out on actual regular TV in America. It's not HBO level, but people do say shit a lot, honest. <laughs> and yeah, it's very dark. People die. Others are broken. Some really, really horrible, gruesome murders. And quite a bit of reeling at God as well. There's a priest character in there who's badly sort of conflicted with what's happened in his past. And if this all sounds a bit like, oh, that sounds like no fun whatsoever, I promise it is great. I, I really enjoy it. Because as I said, I'm so glad I went back to it. The series one has one particular episode, which I won't go too much into spoiler-wise, but they have to sink their powers and go into a catatonic man's head into his memories oh that's just brilliant it's like he's constantly looping in this man's head this thing that happened he used to work for rocks on just how they work that out and how they, they, they become a team they become superheroes in that episode alone is one of the best things i've seen with a superhero element to it at all well it's not surprising really to me that it turned out quite bleak because the original characters are quite bleak in a lot of ways I would say that when it comes, you know, the vigilante characters in Marvel, they're not like the Punisher in that they don't see blowing up entire gangs as the solution. But although he wants to clean up the streets, they want to heal the streets, I think is the best way of putting it, because they, you know, their main aim is to end the drug trade and, you know, sex trafficking and so on. But they can be just as ruthless and in some ways as callous as him. Well, yeah, it's just season two. But the overarching story in that is about abducted women. There is some almost Spider-Man-esque stealing of drugs and money and stuff that a character thinks is a good idea, which turns out to be a horrendous idea because all the gangs start turning on each other. Plays superhero comic kind of things very real. Well, it's also got a lot in common with, I would say, both Me Too and Black Lives Matter, which it very slightly predates. That really struck me rewatching it. It was almost slightly... I mean, you know, it isn't... You can't really say it invented either of those movements or anything, but it was in tune with what was about to happen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Ty's family are a well-to-do black family, but they're still looked at suspiciously, you know. They're still slightly outside, and you learn some things about the dad's history, for example, and it brings in all that New Orleans setting. There are parts, there's not a lot of overt racism in it, but there's definitely that constant simmering tension throughout it that Tandy doesn't quite understand because as bad as she feels her life is, you know, she can at least walk down the street without people looking twice, whereas Ty really does struggle with that sort of thing. And yeah, it's, I find that I find that a fascinating thing to tie into something which is sold ostensibly as, hey, I can shoot some light out of my hands and I've got a club. Well, talking of walking down the street, one thing that they've really changed for this is, well, I can't even say the costumes because they don't have costumes as such. They are dressed down street kids. Whereas I take it you've seen the original comic characters at some point. I have seen a drawing of them. I understand the actual costume used is in there. It's very briefly seen. Yeah, they do that with a few things, like with Luke Cage's original costume is briefly seen, and Iron Fist, and Hellcat, Jessica Jones. It seems to be all the TV characters. They reference costumes that they wouldn't use yeah. for various reasons. But Cloak in the comics is basically almost entirely hidden by his cloak. You get a vague hint of his face, and that's it. Whereas Dagger wears a very revealing sort of ballet leotard thing. 
they did away with that completely for this. They are teenagers in this. Are they slightly older in the comics? They are kind of, they're sort of about 18, I think, in this. It's like they're sort of towards the end of school. I mean, Ty plays his last basketball game for the school. But that's quite an important plot point at one point. And yeah, I'm glad they sort of very much desexualized it. Whilst also, as, as I say, having this no holds barred running story about abduction and trust and stuff like that. And as you say, it very much ties in. I think it's a very modern story. And, you know, as I say, I think people might listen to this and go, oh, that sounds like a barrel of laughs. But then I think about the stuff that like ITV show regularly at 9 p.m. And it doesn't have a fraction of the soul of this. I'll fully admit that when you asked me to do this, I'm like, oh, not that boring teen thing with them all going, oh, my life is bleh. You know, it's not quite Dawson's Creek. I think it's got more, as I said, way more soul and way more sort of playfulness than any of these ITV grim crime murdery things. Well, at the same time, moving it to New Orleans was the masterstroke because the main reason they did that was because, you know, they'd obviously been, most of the films are set in New York to some extent. They've been all the Netflix characters in New York. Spider-Man was just making his first appearance again in New York and they thought, we've got to do something slightly different to this and arbitrarily thought of New Orleans. And then they thought, oh, wow, we can tie that in with the whole voodoo legend. And that's how you get things like... Despair, who's the main villain in series two, was actually basically just a demon in the comics. And in this, he's a very nasty guy who messes around with voodoo where it might be real, it might be not. You don't really know. The way they change characters when opportunities present themselves like that is fantastic, I think. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And again, I don't want to spoil anything too much, but there's a lot of things in series two that involves this kind of metaphysical record store. And it's just, the way they use it is, it's really hard not to just say, then he does this and it makes this happen. But you've got <laughs> this, yeah, you've got this overarching, I'd say baddie, but it's not, he's not Thanos. I mean, even Thanos has his reasons. He's doing what he's doing for a very important reason. It's just the thing he's doing is horrific. All I can say is the writing really is very well done. And I'm sad that probably not a lot, not enough people have seen this. Well, I was going to say that's the thing about not spoiling it. I think out of all the things that are being covered in this, this is the least seen of them all. I know people who, you know, who know full well who Cloak and Dagger are. I've mentioned this to them and they've been like, what? I didn't know there was a Cloak and Dagger series. Mm. It just completely slipped through the net. I think part of the problem was that it was at a time when they were trying to really expand the franchise into different areas. And it worked in the films. Experimenting there worked, particularly with the sci-fi ones. It worked in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when they started to bring the horror elements of Marvel into it. It did not work when they tried to do Inhumans as a soap opera. That just failed. I've heard that (laughs) rumour. There was Runaways, which was a kind of companion series to Cloak and Dagger, which they do show up in. We're going to come back to that. Another teen drama, which just about works as a teen drama as opposed to a superhero thing. But I think most people watching it were superhero fans. But then you've got, they tried pilots for Marvel's Most Wanted, which was Mockingbird and Hunter from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Dominic Fortune. It was kind of a swashbuckling adventurer with a team up like in a kind of 80s action serial mm-hmm. thing. 
thing. There's piloted an ABC passed on it. They also piloted for ABC the new Warriors oh, as a uh, half hour sitcom. Squirrel Girl, focusing isn't it? on Squirrel Girl. Yeah. yeah, inspired by the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I'm nobody's I'll seen that look, pilot. Yeah, I'm guessing that's fantastic. That. But that was passed on and I think Cloak and Dagger was a victim of all of that really. That people thought, Oh well, it's not been working what they've tried, so yeah. No, I mean you you can see the ratings that the channel got and they were never like <laughs> They did say it was their most popular series since Till Death Us Do Part, though, which I assume it's is a different, a different American <laughs> thing. Yeah. Oh, God, can you imagine? Alf Garner wouldn't like Cloak and Dagger very much. No, no, I suspect you won't. What interests me, I was looking into sort of who showed it and that, because it was shown by Freeform, which means nothing over it. Like, if you say, oh, it was Showtime or HBO, now we're savvy enough as TV watchers to go, oh, yeah, I get that's a quality prestige channel that makes high quality dramas but freeform used to be the family channel which then became the fox family channel then the abc family channel what makes me laugh about that is that when it was then in 1993 the people who owned that one in partnership with FlexTech, launched the british family channel in the uk so if you're wondering there is finally a link between clock and dagger and repeats of all clued up <laughs> Because again, all that weird TVS archive stuff, which even if I could explain it, I wouldn't. But like Cloak and Dagger is now, it's owned by Disney. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's very strange to go, here's this world. Some of it's over here, some of it's over there. So, I mean, Disney Plus brought a lot of it together, but I think people assume now that that's it. And I'm not sure they'd go searching for, as obviously, as Runaways is on there. I didn't bother watching Runaways because it looked a bit kiddy which is not there's nothing wrong with that but it just it didn't it didn't it looked more or rather it looked more teen drama and i'm I struggle with teen dramas being very much not a teen. But this, I'd say, wasn't like it expected a teen drama to be. I don't think it was even like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or anything, because there's that weird dynamic of the two characters who understand each other's predicament, each other's angst. Yeah. And it takes away a lot of the nobody understands me stuff, because they understand each other. That's why the first few episodes are a bit of a slog, because they haven't quite found each other yet. But as soon as they do, they become a sort of bond. And I think the fact that there's only ten episodes in each series as well means they skip a lot of... If it had been a 24-episode thing on ABC or whatever, there would have been a lot of filler, let's be honest. There would have been a lot of Monster of the Week stuff like that. Or Iron Fist doing his accounts. <laughs> I think that's why it, it hits as hard as it does, because essentially it's, well, it's not 10 hours, it's because it's a, a TV hour, but still it's like maybe like seven hours of really constantly moving storyline and progressing characters. I just want to talk briefly about the main cast, as in Cloak and Dagger themselves. I mean, I'd never heard of either no, before. No, I was... But the casting is both really interesting, because Aubrey Joseph, who's Cloak, apparently this was his first proper acting role, and he got the call inviting him to audition while he was binge-watching season one of Luke Cage. <laughs> and Olivia Holt, whose Dagger, was apparently just a Disney star that did all those Disney team films. Yes. And they actually obliquely reference it in this, because they have a singing Come Sail Away.
But uh, that is another thing actually worth saying. The soundtrack is absolutely yeah, it's amazing. fantastic. It's, it comes to the words used. The kinks are used really well, you know, an obscure kinks track and stuff. And yeah, the, the music is very well, as well as the music actually of New Orleans. Yeah, that is another really well, it, it just feels well thought out. And as I, I did look as well, I'm like going, these must have been in loads of stuff I've seen because they seem both familiar and new at the same time, which is, you know, a, a credit. And as I say, like, the fact that Olivia Holt has, like, had a pop career, like, not any hits or anything, but kind of putting out teen dance pop, it's just like, it didn't quite <laughs> match up with this hard, badass, pill-snorting, easy-stabbing character. Well, apparently she's playing guitar on the cover of Come Sail Away as well. Really? That is some mean guitar playing, I that's, that's fantastic. I mean, all through the casting, there's no one that you go, oh, it's them off that. You know, they're all good character actors throughout it. I think that's good, actually. And, and again, like, there's no real, oh, hey, it's our old pal Spider-Man. There's no real distractions from their world. You know, in some things, you're kind of waiting for it. You kind of, like in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for example, you've really watched it going, well, I hope someone from the films turns up soon because, you know, it needs to have that feeling of they are actually in contact with that world. But here, they are very much separated from it. And the one thing they do cross over with is Runaways because they show up in the third season in a mini arc about the Runaways kind of basically coming in contact with the Darkhold, which is an enchanted book related to the Dark Force. And they're a bit out of their depth. And obviously, Cloak and Dagger are more than familiar with that. And they turn up to a system in quite a macabre set of episodes, actually. And then they just say, basically, well, our work's done here. Bye. And disappear. Did you strike me as characters that could just pop in to other stuff very easily? Well, they've both appeared those two actually playing Cloak and Dagger in there's a new Spider-Man cartoon which isn't actually part of the MCU it's its own thing with a different guy doing the voice but they've played Cloak and Dagger oh, and okay. obviously they weren't in Infinity War or Endgame which you know kind of makes sense but they were kind of major players in the original comic the Infinity Gauntlet because I mean no spoilers really but let's just say one of them gets caught up in the snap and the other does not take it lying down but the speculation now is I mean there's all kinds of plausible stories about the various TV characters showing up in future films and TV series. Yeah. I mean, there's very convincing ones like The Punisher, apparently. People are saying it's going to be in Moon Knight. A couple of characters people are positing will be in the Shang-Chi film. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ended basically setting them up to go into other films, really, in every different direction, including space. But I'm really hopeful because I love these two as Cloak and Dagger. I hope they're going to show up on something. I'm not sure what they could show up in yet, but something is bound to come up. I mean, maybe the next Spider-Man film. Yeah, absolutely. Given the rumour is Daredevil's going to be in that. So Yeah, absolutely. I think this, this is a very exciting time as we're recording this. I mean, obviously a lot of productions have been hit by the events of 2020, but still... We're a weird place where people actually know a lot. We've done the basics. Like, superhero films were coming out for years and you had to go back and do the origin story and then do the obvious baddies and all that stuff with Spider-Man and Batman and Superman, etc. We're in a really interesting place now where people can go flip through the comic racks and go, what about this one? They're going way out of the traditional comfort zone and you've got to love that. Well, exactly. I mean, the big thing is that coming up 
obviously, as well as sequel films, got the Fantastic Four, Blade and X-Men. But equally, I wouldn't have believed that there would be the Shang-Chi film or a Moon Knight TV series. Or there's a series about Damon and Arna Hellstrom coming up, like literally in a couple of days after we record this. I would not have picked them out as liable for cross-platform exposure in that Yeah, way. and for me, not being a, a Marvel Comics nut, it's really interesting to meet all these characters for the first time and then go back and find out like the, the, the full backstories and all that stuff. Because again, Lock and Dagger, if it hadn't been about Ian Clark running the Anne Dagger pub, I would have gone, okay, fair enough. <laughs> well, there's only one thing left for me to ask now. Ben, if you were able to control light and or dark, what would you use them for? There's too many obvious answers for this one. But you know what? I think I'd make sure that everyone woke up with a lovely roast breakfast in the morning. <laughs> Where's were even going to make your own dark comedy show. I disown oh, you. Oh, no, no. What, what, what I'm going to make Nathan Barley. No, thank you. <laughs> I think that's good enough a note to end. No. Nathan Barley's no note to ever end anything on, including Nathan Barley. Enough. Ben, thank you. And Excelsius. Excelsius yourself, sir. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me, at timworthington.org.